welcome each one of you here. Share our visitors. Glad you're here with us as well. I also greet you in the name of Jesus. The one we remember this Christmas day is coming as a baby and laying in a manger. There's no room for him in the inn. In this event, the story has become probably the most wide-known, most popular story ever told. Um, it's proclaimed in music, places you go, along with other um, secular music in stores. And I think it's safe to say around the world. Now, even though Santa is taking Christ out of Christmas, I think most adults and possibly many of the children even, through seeing nativity scenes and hearing messages of Christ's birth in other ways, would be able to say that Jesus was born in Bethlehem on Christmas Day. The uh, article in the Alley Branch uh, this past one we received talked about Christmas in Grenada, how the same music plays there, um, music of carols and also music of snow and in that warm climate and shops and people are preparing food for this event. And the writer made the comment about it feeling a little strange celebrating Christmas when they go caroling, they roll down the bus windows so they can cool off. They're in flip-flops and sandals. And yet, they're out doing the same thing that we here, we are this morning as well, celebrating Christ and His birth. And I also found it interesting that as they prepared for Christmas, they put a lot of effort into their, their house. It mentioned new paint, carpets, curtains, more than what they do, the food preparation. And it just gave me a picture of repairing their house for for Christ as we prepare our hearts. And they prepare for Christmas. You know, clean it up, throw away the stuff that shouldn't be there. And why do we here in America prepare food and gifts? But it's just uh, interesting as I read that article. And I thought about the weather we're having here. Also a little hard to imagine shepherds out in the field watching their flock by night and a baby being born in a barn and laid in a manger. So we have these two extremes. <clears throat> but no matter where we live in this world, I think we're able to look at the Christmas story and say no matter what the temperature, what it's like, it happened in the exact place, in the exact time, and everything surrounding this event was ready to perfection for Jesus to come, for the story of Christmas to unfold, just as the prophets said it would happen, and that God's gift of salvation came in total, complete perfection. And Christmas message like this can be So much uh, can be talked about of the same things. It surrounds these few chapters in the Bible and 
the devotional, the Sunday school, the thoughts, it all kind of comes together in one message. And that one message, the one word that we heard a lot was worship. And is that what this does for us? Does it bring us, as we think of this Christmas story and how everything came together in perfection, does it fill us with awe and wonder as we realize what an amazing God we serve? It's not just a worship that happens on Sunday morning. It can happen there too, but it comes from the inside, as Dwight had just alluded to. It's not a scheduled ritual that we're taking part of. It needs to be way more than that. My message title this morning is The Gift of Salvation Demands Worship. And I spent a lot of time thinking about the word demand and tried to find another word to fit in there that may be more suitable, that's not as maybe harsher, but I did not come up with any. So if you if you have a better one for me, The Gift of Salvation Demands Worship. And the message came from our Sunday school lesson two weeks ago. Matthew 9, Compassion for the Helpless. As I studied this lesson and the surrounding the uh, other Gospels that alluded to the same stories, I was amazed at what happened when people had interaction with Jesus. There was a spontaneous worship that took place almost everywhere that he went. Now, Matthew did not bring out in detail what took place in some of the others, like I said. If you took time to read that, the others, you would find some of these verses. Uh, Matthew did talk about Jairus uh, coming and worshiping Jesus. But Luke eight forty one said, And behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. Mark 5.33 points out that the woman, Matthew did not allude to this either, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. In Luke 8.47, on the same subject, and when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people what had what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. She proclaimed it to everybody that was in around there listening. And then it went on Matthew 9 and it ended uh, with the the two blind men. Matthew 9, 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And we're not told that these men fell down and worshipped Jesus at that point. But verse 31 gives a result of what happens when there is worship taking place inside the heart. In Matthew 31, but they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all the country. And that's where my mind went for this Christmas story. You can turn to Luke 2.
Luke 2, 1 to, 1 to 20. And it's such a familiar passage. I didn't feel like I want to stand here and read it to you, so I'd like us all to read it together, um, 1 through 20. You can recite it by memory or read it um, however you want to, but it's a very familiar passage. Uh, Luke 2, 1. And it came to pass in those days that there were out a degree from the Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius, governor of Syria, to be taxed, and won into his own city. And Joseph went up, went up out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, and Savior, which is the Lord. And it shall be a sign unto you that ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe laying in a manger. Seeing it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and honored them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and it was told unto them. Thank you. The first five verses give us the uh, what all took place to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem that all these things could uh, fulfill the prophecies that were, were, were foretold before this by the uh, prophets. And it shows us that our God will never make a mistake in these prophecies in the Old Testament. And they come to pass exactly, as he said, hundreds of years before but he can't be wrong. He is God. But he uses ungodly governments to bring about his will, and he still does that. 
things happen to fulfill his will. And if I have a favorite part of the story of uh, the birth of Christ, it would have to be the shepherds. Uh, maybe because I can relate to their lifestyle more than some of the other parts of the event. It was a normal day, doing what God had called them to do. Sheep out in the pasture, or if they were in a fold at night, they would still have a night watch to make sure nothing would come and harm them. And these were common men, and they were doing their job that God chose them. <coughs> God chose them to be the first people to receive the good news. The news that every faithful Jew was waiting intently for, the arrival of the promised Messiah, the one that would come and bring hope and salvation to all people. And in verse 9, the angel appears suddenly out of nowhere, no warning. Even though this event was anticipated and looked forward to, it came to them as a complete surprise. And I'm sure they felt like they were the lowliest of all jobs and the least likely people that God would announce the birth of Jesus to. And I think this is a good lesson for us. Our occupations, our calling may seem so insignificant, but I'm convinced that God can take anyone where they find themselves in life and use them to further his kingdom. And we can look ahead at what the... uh, what the shepherds did after their little trip to town, just jumping ahead to verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. You know, they they just experienced this most wonderful thing. They were the first people to hear about the birth of Jesus. And in this amazing way, you know, what does it say? It says they've returned to what they were doing before. They were satisfied to continue in what called them to do, what God had called them to do. And yet I think it's safe to say that they would never be the same men as they were before. But they were willing to go back and be shepherds again. Back to verse 9 again. This angel came with a radiant light. And if you look at word with a light that came from the Lord... It's not a light that came from itself, but a light that radiated from the angel because it had just come from the presence of the Lord. The Lord has told him to go down and give that message to the shepherds. And no one working in God's kingdom shines his own light, but reflects the light that comes from being in the presence of God. Our light will never stay lit unless it's powered by a continual relationship with the giver of that light. And then comes the beautiful message, delivered with great enthusiasm, great joy, this is to all people. And in detail, the angel told them what took place and where they can find the baby and what they should look for. A baby in a manger, in a stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes. A very simple but profound message that was given to the shepherds. It's another confirmation that our God is not a God of confusion, but He will always give us what we need for the next step in life where He is pointing us to go. 
We jump on down to verse 13. It gives us our first picture of worship that took place that night. And these angels were sent to the shepherds that night. I can only imagine there was a great excitement in heaven as they waited for the messenger to finish so they could go and sing and worship in front of the shepherds to proclaim this this good news through singing and praise and worship. And I had to think back to last Sunday evening, you children, you gave your your program here uh, here at church. And as you're waiting in the back and the congregation starts singing the congregational songs and your excitement starts to rise and you anxiously await for those songs to end so you can come to the front and and sing to us and lead us in worship. <clears throat> and maybe you don't think of it as leading in worship, but you did, and we appreciate it very much. And again, this morning, singing is a beautiful way of worship. And never forget that and keep doing that. We're going to jump through this fairly quickly. Uh, how did the shepherds respond to this event that had just happened? The angels disappeared. Everything's over. Everything's dark again. Oh, should we go check this out? Or should do this later? Verse 16 says they made haste. They hurried to go see this good news that they had been told. It was from the Lord and they had no question about it. And we don't, we don't exactly know. We're not told how they were able to find Mary and Joseph and Jesus. But the same verse that tells us that they found exactly what they were looking for. And it's just another, another confirmation of what, what God can do in our lives. We can, we can find this so encouraging when God gives us confirmations that we are following and doing His will and where He wants us to go. And I think the shepherds were, it was the same for them. And again, we don't have a verse that tells us that the shepherds knelt down and worshiped. But as we read 17 and 20, we see a result of a worship that happened within them. And I'd like to read uh, the beginning article from Doctrines of the Bible, Daniel Kaufman. I uh, picked it up just to see what he would say about the subject of worship and pretty much put into words already what we heard this morning and where my thoughts were. Worship. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, Psalms 95.6. Worship is an attitude and feeling of reverence, admiration, awe, adoration, and profound respect. It is a condition of the soul rather than a part of the outer life, such as things as prayer, praise, singing, witnessing for Christ, etc. All belong to worship, but they are the fruits of worship rather than the worship itself. When the soul is filled with worship, such things are seen as a natural result. Almost word for word for things we heard earlier. And that's exactly what we see in verses 17 and 20 with the shepherds as they, as they went, they left uh, the stable there 
and were headed back to their, their job, they told everybody they met. It says, And when they seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. And it was told unto them, as it was told unto them. So I think it's safe to say, without adding to Scripture, what we see in 17 and 20 is more than an outward expression of repeating a story. But it's coming from the inside, from their heart that was affected so much that it would never be the same again. And from this heart, because of that experience, comes prayer, praise, singing, and witnessing for Christ. It is from a heart that is changed, overflowing in an external worship that could not be contained, just like the angels. We've seen them come and, and worship and singing as well. Verse 19, we have a little bit on Mary. It says she listened to all that the shepherds had to tell them. And she did not go out and do what the shepherds did. But it says she took these things and she pondered them in her heart. I'm sure Mary had a lot of mixed emotions at this moment. You know, an angel had already told her that she would be the mother of the Messiah. But imagine all the things her and Joseph had to go through to even get to this point of where they're at now. And the unexpected turn of events that their baby couldn't even be born at home, but here in this, here in this barn. But God knew that she would need these very things 30 some years later when she watched her son die on the cross. This gift that God gave her to mother and raise was for her as much as the rest of the world. She would need these things to accept God's perfect gift of salvation in her own life to be able to bring forth true worship to a God who does all things right, even though it was the death of her own her own son. The wise men, uh, quickly, they, we studied them this morning. We have the... How they uh, departed as soon as they seen that star. They traveled to where they could find him. And when they when they did see him, they fell down and worshipped. And they opened their treasures and gave to him. So they they had the same response that the that the shepherds did. They uh, studying stars. We don't know how long, how many generations this would have been. Um, I guess my question was this morning is, were they looking for this star? Was it something they knew was coming? Or when they seen the star, they studied up on it and, and found these prophecies? Uh, I guess I always often felt that they were somewhat waiting and watching. But the star all of a sudden appeared. It's just like, boom, it's there. And like the shepherds, they weren't satisfied just to see the star, but they immediately left on this long journey to see this baby that was born, what was prophesied. And again, they 
as they seen him, as they came to him, they bowed and worshipped him. They had just found the long-awaited promise that God had promised to them in the beginning of time. So how do we look at this gift of salvation that God is holding out to us? Do we make haste to go see it? Do we invest a lot of time into learning more about it as these wise men did? They were willing to put a lot of time in to go and see him so they could worship him. I'd like to take this a little different direction now. Um, look at worship directly. Was this worship going directly to this tiny, helpless baby that was unable to fend for himself, or was it going to the giver of the gift? When you receive a gift from someone that means a lot to you, if it's something that you don't feel you deserve or something that you were never been able to purchase for yourself, you may feel so undeserving, but at the same time there's a gratefulness and there's a, there's a joy and a thankfulness that comes within you. And as these feelings are expressed, where are they directed to? To the gift or to the giver? Of that gift. Let's go back to Luke 2. I'd like to continue reading from 21 down to 40. When eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, was accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is risen at, sorry, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him through the custom of the law. Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thou servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, Zorb shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Aser. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which she parted not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. 
And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. <clears throat> So we have this old man, Simeon, who was uh, could frequently be found in the temple. <clears throat> he was called a, uh, a just and a devout man full of the Holy Spirit. I find it interesting that this is used in this way, the Holy Spirit, before uh, what we consider the Holy Spirit being uh, poured down in Acts. It says he was waiting on the consolation of Israel, the comforter of Israel, the one that would come for the saving of Israel. And he was told that he wouldn't see death until he'd seen the Lord Christ. And that day the Spirit compelled him to be in the temple when Jesus was brought in for circumcision and the Holy Spirit revealed baby Jesus to him. When when his parents brought him in, he... uh, he knew that this was the Messiah, the Christ child, that he was waiting for. And we have a picture in verse 28 that he took Jesus into his arms and worshipped God. It, uh, he's holding up this, he was holding the gift that, that God had given Israel for the saving of the nation. He was holding in his arms and he looked up and, and worshipped. He says, now let me die, for I have seen your salvation. The gift of salvation, the rescuer, the safety, and deliverer. He was holding the baby that was the complete plan that God had put in place for Israel. He saw in his arms, <clears throat> the baby in his arms is the promise. Even though he probably didn't look, know exactly what the end uh, picture was of that exact salvation for, for his people, but he knew he was holding that the, the gift that God was going to use, that baby that God was going to use for that salvation. He goes on in verse 31 and 32. He made a profound statement that caused Joseph and Mary to wonder. Says thou hast prepared before the face of all people a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. The gift that uh, that God had had sent that He was holding was prepared for all people. It was going to bring a light and give salvation to the Gentiles as well. And the NIV says it was prepared for all nations. And again, we talked about that this morning. Before this, it could be said that the Gentiles were, they lived in darkness. They were not included in God's chosen nation through His chosen people. They were offensive to God because they, they pulled His people away from Him and made them follow, follow other gods. But as, as Simon looked at Jesus in His arms, he could see that light the light that, that, that we heard about again this morning. He could see that this light was more 
then that would stop with the Jews, but it was it was going to give a light to all people, all nations, and it would, it would give a light that overpower the darkness that was there before. The Gentiles were in darkness, but they would now be exposed to this light. <clears throat> and he goes on and says, "It would be the glory of thy people Israel." And glory here has the meaning of honor and praise and worship. It is what comes out of our heart to the gift giver that as we receive this gift that we know we could never purchase it on our own. Which results again in that honor and praise and worship. And same thing with Anna the prophetess. In verses 37-38, she gave thanks. She worshipped him as that gift giver as well. Then she went and told all those that were waiting for the redemption of Israel, of Jerusalem. Again, it started within her. Then because of the effect that it had on her, she could not keep it in, but went to tell others about it. And she went to those that were, were looking forward to this event to happen. It says, she, to those that were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It was others that had the same, the same hope. And she wanted to tell them that she had found, found this light, this, this baby that was going to do this. <clears throat> Let's go back to verse 34. When Simeon told Mary that her son was set for the falling and rising again of many in Israel, he will be a stumbling block to many. They will fall because they like darkness rather than light. They would not accept the gift of light. They would reject him and miss the opportunity of life through Jesus. But there was others, those that we looked at this morning, that saw the glory and the light of this gift of Jesus and would rise and accept his salvation. Malachi 4, 1 and 2, prophecy of this. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness Arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. With Jesus, there is no neutral ground. People will either joyfully accept him or totally reject him. In verse 35, Simeon warned Mary that her heart would be pierced. With sorrow and pain as she watched these people openly reject her son. This this gift of salvation that God had given to her to raise, to be presented to as a gift to all people would be rejected by many that were actually waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. But it did not happen in the way that they had envisioned, so they rejected this gift of Jesus. As we go back to the gift and the gift giver, I referred to Jesus as the gift of salvation. 
and that we do not possibly worship that gifts gift. But at the same time, I I'm not saying that Jesus should never be worshipped. Our Sunday school lesson two weeks ago plainly tells us that these people fell before him and worshipped him. And there's another statement in the Bible doctrine that also alluded to this. He was saying that not to worship idols, uh, heroes, even angels. And it says, this, this leaves only God as an object worthy of our worship. He is the only one in his class, the only creator of heaven and earth, the only infinite being, perfect in all things. And to him naturally belong all praise and glory, adoration and reverence. Let us worship him in spirit and in truth. Praise his holy name. When we speak of God as being the only one whom men should worship, we include the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> so I'm not saying that Jesus is not to be worshipped. What I'm pointing out is that Jesus, as that baby that these people in Luke 2, the baby that they, they seen, and the glimpse that they got, of the gift of salvation that was coming to Israel that is now reality to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. They were looking beyond this tiny baby to the consolation of Israel that God had promised. They were looking beyond this this baby in the manger knowing that God was going to use him to complete this promise of salvation that he he had promised them many years ago. Well, what it's clear to us now is like is for them like looking through a, a dark glass. They could see and hold this baby that was going to complete this promise, and it was this that brought spontaneous worship to the one that sent him back to God. And I, I hope I'm clear on, on on what I'm trying to express. Um, and not, it's not that Jesus is not to be worshipped, but it's the the gift of salvation. We we cannot just accept this this gift and and keep it within us, but this gift needs to produce worship and praise to the giver, God, who sent them. Have I received this gift? Have you received this gift? If you have, has this gift changed your life? Now as you live your life doing what God has called you to do till Jesus returns, can those that meet you see worship flowing out of you that is a result of what has happened within your soul, within your inner being, your heart, we often hear people say that Jesus saved them, but when you look at their life, there is no evidence. You know, it's possible to see the gift in saying we believe, but never receiving it from the giver. It just reminded me of uh, 
Last night, this morning, there's a, another search possibility that we may be going on. And it's so often when we go out on these searches for this one's another young man that we interact with the families, we we hear all the good things that these young people do and how they were part of uh, church life and different things like that. And these are shown to be godly families. But these young men have believed the lie that there's pleasure in alcohol and drugs and these things. And it's very possible this young man is not living because of these things or because of believing these lies. But talk is cheap. We can say all these good things about somebody but if it's not, if it's not in the heart, if it's not, if that gift is not in them, it doesn't produce worship and a new life. <clears throat> it's not possible to say we received this gift of salvation and it didn't do a thing to me. Like the shepherd, the wise men, Simeon, Anna, if we accept this gift from God, the giver, it will fill us with honor and praise and will automatically produce a worship spirit within us. And as I, as I went through the week, kind of preparing for this message, I, I made note to be observant of things that are happening around me. And I was amazed at how many things in my life are good because of people around me that have accepted this gift of salvation and that have allowed it to be poured out of their own lives to affect other people, including family, children, church families, godly men that have spoken in my life this week regarding something I'm facing. And the peace and joy that comes from this gift is beyond anything else that you can ever experience. There is no other pleasure that can take its place. So as gifts are passed around these days surrounding Christmas, don't forget the gift of salvation. Don't forget the giver of this gift. Don't forget baby Jesus who was willing to be born this world as a human to be raised by imperfect parents to be good friends and teach imperfect people, and then most importantly was willing to die to wrap this gift in completion to be given out to all those who will receive. And last of all, don't harden your heart and reject the gift that has been rejected by so many people because their agenda was more important than being changed and following God's agenda. God is the best gift giver you have ever had as a friend. Accept his gift and experience the peace that comes with that.